Hello, hello, hello. It's Basketball Reasons from the Forum Club, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. I'm Bill Oram, joined this week by... Uh, who's joining me this week? It's Brett Dawson. Thank I'm, you, I'm... Brett. Timely, t- timely drop-in. Brett Dawson joining me, as always. Brett uh, just spent last week in, in Chicago with um, a whole host of Lakers representatives, um, was there for the Kobe Bryant tributes, saw LeBron in AD, Frank Vogel coaching Team LeBron to a victory in the All-Star game. We'll get into all of that. Um, also, the Lakers continue to be linked to players on the buyout market, but not uh, finding any dance partners as of yet. And gearing up for the final six weeks of the season, Lakers get back on the floor Friday against Memphis, currently sitting at 41-12, and 12, uh, first in the Western Conference with a four-game lead over Denver. Uh, Brett, um, just right off the bat, what... Um, what stood out to you from All-Star Weekend, your experiences there, and what, uh, you know, obviously, hopefully everybody read your great stories on Anthony Davis, uh, you know, dating back to his AAU days when he kind of burst onto the scene, um, you know, Kobe Bryant's uh, Hall of Fame um, finalist and obviously uh, inevitable in, 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 in induction later this year. But what were the highlights for you maybe that people didn't read about in your stories from your time in Chicago? The biggest highlight was definitely the Kobe stuff in general, just the way Kobe um, – I don't want to say hung over the weekend. That that makes it sound dreary. It really wasn't. The weekend was very much a celebration of Kobe, start to finish, especially finish, I think, the fourth quarter of the All-Star game. Um, owed a lot to the new format, but also, as the players would, would readily tell you, Chris Paul and Devin Booker among them, I think it really was a tribute to Kobe Bryant, the way people played down the stretch. You know, I think the, the intensity of it, the idea that the whole night was really geared to be a celebration of Kobe, and I think the players wanted to buy into that. And so um, that, that, to me, was the biggest takeaway, certainly seeing Anthony Davis in his home element. Um, he seems so comfortable in Chicago. Uh, you know, obviously it's a place that he loves and it's a place that, you know, at the beginning of the season, he caused a stir by saying, it, it, you know, maybe he could play there someday or whatever exactly the, the phrasing was. Um, but, but he definitely felt at home there. Chicago really got properly celebrated, I think, as a basketball city. And I think in general, you know, I don't think, Bill, that we remember these very well. I, you know, like anytime anybody says this is a memorable All-Star weekend, I, I, I take that with a grain of salt because I don't remember last All-Star weekend very well or the one before that or the one before that. But but in as much as they are memorable, I think this one will be because we had a controversial dunk contest. We had a really exciting three-point shootout. We had a very fun All-Star game. Um, and from a Lakers standpoint, I think, you know, it was a, it was a good weekend. Neither LeBron nor AD was the MVP of the, of the game. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard was, but... Those guys were very impactful. Their presence was really big all, all weekend long. Did did you stay warm? Were you able to uh, avoid getting frostbite? Gosh. I will say this. The travel is one of my favorite parts of this job. I love to get away and see different places. And I love Chicago. I used to live in Champaign, Illinois, and I'm very fond of Chicago. Um, living in Los Angeles has changed my life uh, since I moved here in October. I have no tolerance for the cold whatsoever, and I wanted to leave the moment that I got off the plane. I just wanted to get back on the plane and go back to Los Angeles immediately. Way fewer Marriott points, though. That is true. I did collect quite a few Marriott points, especially by going a couple of days early. But man, the first, it, it got it got much nicer as the weekend wore on to the point that on Sunday – You've been to many All-Star games, I know. Sunday's the, the best sort of free time uh, day of an All-Star weekend because you don't have anything until the game late at night. There's no media stuff going on early. There's no, you know, players don't do any any charitable stuff really on Sunday morning. There's really nothing that you have to be at the arena early for. And so you do have a, a chance to spend a little time in the city. And I spent Sunday walking around Chicago, which is a city I love to walk around and, and be in. And it was very pleasant at like 36 degrees to walk around Chicago, having previously done it when it was three. Okay, Brett, let's turn our attention then 
and to uh, the Lakers being back at home. We're recording this on Thursday morning. The Lakers are going to have their first their first practice a little bit later on today. Uh, and then it's it's the home stretch for the Lakers. Let's see, there's 29 games left. Um, they are the one seed now. They are the they have four games up on Denver. Do you see any scenario where they are not the one seed come mid-April when the playoffs begin? I think it's hard to imagine. They've just been so good at at doing what they're supposed to do they win the games they're supposed to win by and large i think now they're 26 and 2 against uh, against teams under 500 this has been a, a team that i think while they don't really talk about the one seed so much they do talk about their approach to the regular season since the very beginning of the year they've talked about dominate not, kill yeah exactly and not lose two games in a row that's the thing I mean, they've done it but they've talked about not wanting to do it those are things that you know not not every team talks about that not not every team talks about attacking the regular season and murdering the teams that they play or whatever the the phrase phrasing is and they have they've, they've talked a lot about that so I don't think that approach is going to change overnight and I don't think it's going to change for the second half there's some very good teams chasing them but none of those teams have really shown Denver's been the closest to showing the, the level of consistency the Lakers have had and just kind of taking care of business and padding their record uh, and so a four game lead with 29 to go is not insurmountable by any stretch of the imagination but I, I don't think the Lakers are going to blow it I think it's I, th- I think it's insurmountable uh, with the way the Lakers have played and the fact that you know the Lakers obviously have the head to head against Denver they've won yeah. twice on Denver's home floor I don't see that I don't see the the Nuggets getting there the <clears throat> excuse me the um the Clippers are an additional game back they're five games back to the Lakers there's obviously going to be we presume two more matchups there I suppose if the Clippers went on a big on a big run perhaps they could get there but I just think five I think five games is 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 a lot with the way the Lakers have been playing I agree the Lakers are going to be the one seed and you know it's interesting we talk about that four game gap being insurmountable but at the back end of the Western Conference playoff picture you've got Memphis sitting pretty in the eighth seed with Portland four games back and I think that despite how well Memphis has played and the way Portland has struggled of late I don't I, Brett, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it certainly seems more plausible that Portland could put together a run and jump Memphis. More plausible that that there could be a a shift there on the back end than at the top. Do you agree with that? I think so. I mean, I have reluctantly come to write off San Antonio. You know, it's hard to do that. But it feels like with Portland between them and the Grizzlies, that feels it's just going to be a little tough. I mean, I think in the NBA, anytime you're looking at a race, any kind of race to either for the number one seed or the eighth seed, you have to look at the number of teams. It's not just the number of games. So like you, you noted the Clippers, that's in their five games back. They've also got Denver to hurdle. And so, it's, so I think you're in that situation with San Antonio and New Orleans, which was a team I thought really might make a push. But they might just be too far back in terms of the teams they'd need to hurdle to get there. I do think it feels like it's Memphis or Portland. Portland is there in terms of of not only have we seen that they can go on a hot streak and have we seen that Damian Lillard can carry them. We don't quite know what the Nurkic situation is. And if he comes back and is some facsimile of himself, they get a lot better. And so I I do think that coupled with the fact that Memphis is very young and while they've they've shown to be pretty resilient, um, I don't know that I have a lot of faith in a team that young holding off a a more experienced team just because I I think as teams, as we get down the stretch, Memphis is in meaningful games, the likes of which some of their players have not been in. I don't know that I have the faith in them that I haven't, say, the Lakers to just sort of close the deal out. You know, what's interesting, though, is the the last game before the All-Star break was Memphis versus Portland, and the Grizzlies won that game on their home floor. That, to me, is a compelling race to watch down the stretch. And just like the Lakers in Denver before the All-Star break, Portland went into that game three games back of Memphis, and a win could have pulled within two, but with a loss now since four back. And I think that just feels dramatically different for the home stretch. But listen, Memphis has won some good games. If you look at, I mean, not only are they eight and two over their last 10, but that's wins over Portland, Dallas, Denver. 
I mean, so I, th- they they have really kind of risen to the occasion and perhaps have, uh, you know, tested their mettle or trial by fire in the regular season. Does it matter to the Lakers who's there to you, Brett? I don't know that it does. I, you know, I mean, I think interestingly, you know, I, I'm intrigued to see the Lakers. I would be intrigued to see the Lakers on Friday, regardless. It's been a while since we've seen them. But, they, you know, Memphis has played them very well. How much stock we put in that? I think very little in the regular season. As you know, Bill, you were there in Memphis when the Lakers really had to fight to come back and win the game. Memphis got off to a great start here. That game was lopsided by the end, but they played very well at the start of the game. They don't play afraid of the Lakers. They would have no pressure in a playoff series, and yet I have no thought that they would be competitive over a seven-game series. I don't feel like Portland can beat the Lakers either. We've seen them play a couple of times, three times. Is that right? They played three times, yeah. And the win is a game in which Damian Lillard was absolutely unbelievable in a very strange circumstance for the Lakers. Um, you know, that was the first game back after the Kobe Bryant's death. And it was the memorial, the not memorial, but the, the tribute to Kobe effectively, pregame. Effectively a memorial, yeah. It was a That was a challenging night for the Lakers. I think a lot of teams had a chance to beat the Lakers that night. And particularly when a guy goes goes off like, like Lillard did. So, you know, I, th- I think the Lakers comfortably win either one. I don't know that there's a team that you could get into that eight seed and feel like it's daunting for the Lakers. Or, or frightening in any way. I think the one probably, if the Lakers were being honest, if everybody on the Lakers were being honest, you probably don't want New Orleans there. It adds a level of emotion to a 1-8 series that you probably just would prefer to avoid. Yeah. But I also don't think the Pelicans would be a threat to beat them in a seven-game series. Yeah, I think it's more just a matter of who um, who's going to make the Lakers work the hardest. Because, you know, we don't know where they're going to see the Clippers. It is still within the realm of possibility that they could end up playing the Clippers in the second round. You don't want to be coming off of some really tough, you know, six, seven game series and then going into a series against the Clippers. I I, I agree with you that Memphis is probably, I, I think Memphis is the breezier first round series for the Lakers just because they, they are less experienced, they are younger. If you get a Portland team that has obviously played well enough over the final six weeks to get into the playoffs, presumably gotten Yusuf Nurkic back up to some close to full speed. Damian's been playing at an MVP level all year. That to me is a, is far from ideal for the Lakers. I don't think, I don't think Portland would win that series, but I think it could be a really, uh, it could really present a lot of challenges for the Lakers. and They'd really have to work. So I would, I'd prefer to see Memphis there. Um, if I'm the Lakers, as an Oregon kid, I would obviously prefer a series in Portland, but um, I can get on board with a few nights in Memphis, too. The other thing about Portland, they've got so many, there's so many things that make them, give them an op- opportunity to win on any given night, just because they have two guards who can can drop 40 on you in, in, in with relative ease. CJ McCollum is also capable of having a really big night. You know, there's been some, some perimeter containment issues for the Lakers. I, I think there's a, a lot of ways that, that you can see Portland getting a couple of games. I think it's easier to see than it is with Memphis. Yep, I agree. Uh, will this be the same team? I know we've, we've touched on this uh, before, but the, the buyout market has, has really gotten going uh, over the last couple of weeks since the trade deadline. We've seen the, we've seen the Clippers uh, make a move or two. A couple of guys that I thought might be on the Lakers' radar have been picked up. Um, Darren Collison didn't come out of retirement, but Reggie Jackson went to the Clippers. That's a guy who was linked to the Lakers. Uh, Damari Carroll got bought out in San Antonio, um, was reportedly or has officially, I'm not sure uh, which it is, has gone to Houston along with Jeff Green. Damari Carroll was somebody I thought, you know, if he has anything left in the tank, made some sense for the Lakers as a perimeter defender. Going to Houston, the Lakers so far have remained intact. Troy Daniels, DeMarcus Cousins, they are all still here. Do you 
Brett think that there's a move coming? I think that all of us have kind of been anticipating something happening around the margins for the Lakers. Has that ship sailed or is there still something to happen? You know, I wonder about it. There's been some discussion about what Mo Harkless wants to do. I think there was a report yesterday that he would talk to his agent and yes. they would have some discussion. Want to play on a contender? Would they Would they ask for a potential buyout? That one is intriguing in the sense I don't think it solves what we know to be the Lakers' biggest issue. Let's just say it again because we say it every single podcast that – they really could use another guy in the backcourt who can handle the ball, kind of run the offense when LeBron is off the floor and make a shot. LeBron and or AD are on the floor together. You could just use that extra guard. I mean, that, that's a guy, obviously, Darren Collison was the sort of prototype for that. Reggie Jackson, maybe less ideal, but certainly would have filled uh, a need a little bit there, to, to some extent would have filled that need. The other thing I think they could use, obviously, they could use a, a guy who you can throw at Paul George or Kawhi Leonard defensively for stretches of the game. Andre Iguodala was the prototype for that. Uh, obviously, uh, he ended up in Miami and didn't hit the buyout market and really was not a realistic trade target for the Lakers. He was only ever really a realistic buyout target uh, and probably a, a very logical fit had he hit that market. But um, Harkless is is not as good as Iguodala. He's not even close. But he is a guy who now, after this season, has some familiarity with the Clippers where he started the year. And he is a, a good, versatile defender who you can throw on a, a talented guy like that. He's got some length. He's got some athleticism. He can make an open three in the right situation. He's a really good role player. He was good for Portland. Um, and on a good team, I think he's a nice fit. If he wants to do that, and that's something that you know where he becomes available, I think that's definitely one to consider. Other than that, there don't seem to be a lot of options unless there are guys out there coming out of China. I mean, there's J.R. Smith, obviously. Um, uh, there, there are some. There's Deion Waiters. There are some pieces out there. Lance Stevenson's um, available. Lance Stevenson is out there, and, and he's one of the other guys. You know, guys coming off playing in China, or if there are guys available in, in European leagues. There are places. There are, there are other rocks you can turn over to find players. Uh, I think, you know, the Lakers are obviously in a situation where – they have the best record in the West. They, they, we've talked about this a lot. They famously have a really good locker room. They have good chemistry. And so with any player, you're kind of looking at that balance of, you know, what does he give us and what potential pitfalls are there to adding him into the mix? I, the other thing I think is very notable, back when the buyout market kind of just was getting underway and it's a lot of speculation and some activity, uh, our friend Tim McMahon from ESPN, who I hate to give credit for anything, but I will – pointed out the last buyout guy to play at least 100 playoff minutes uh, for a team that won a championship was Peja Stojakovic in 2011. So it's, you know, and that was with the Mavericks. It's, it's not, these guys rarely make or break a title run. So I, what I think is interesting about that is that if you are a team that is in a position where you need, when, where you need somebody to come in and, and play a significant role on, on a team and you're still looking for that guy at this point, um, you might have some problems. Because if because a lot of those buyout guys are you're adding a 10th, 11th, 12th guy, you are shoring up your depth for in case of an emergency. The Lakers are in a really unique spot where they have the best record in the Western Conference, but they need a they are they're missing like a rotation piece. They yeah. are they are a rota rotation piece away from feeling like a complete team. And I don't think you would say that about the Clippers. I don't think you'd say that about the Rockets even. Um and and so the Lakers are that's where I don't look at their record as fool's gold necessarily, but I do I do think that it would be a little uh, ambitious for them to say, well, we have the best record in the West, therefore we're fine. Um, I I think that it's 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 I just think it's a different dynamic. I think they do need a guy that can come in and play a lot of minutes, not a ton of minutes, not as, not as a starter, but you know a a healthy you know regular 
rotation spot. Whereas, you know, I look at Reggie Jackson with the Clippers, that is insurance on Pat Beverly. You know, if he doesn't play 100 minutes, um, no big deal. Um, so I'm going to be curious. I, I think I think I think the Lakers are trending toward maybe keeping this roster intact and, and, and sticking with this group if Mo Harkless doesn't become available. I mean, I agree with you. He is the last no-brainer that could potentially be out there. But I and, and if listen, if I'm Mo Harkless, I would think, hey, absolutely, yes. The Lakers want me, they want me to play 18 minutes a night. I'm gonna get to go guard Kawhi and PG, potentially in the concert conference finals. Great, you know, gonna be a free agent. Um, you know, make my mark on a, on a on a contender. But I'm also just gonna stop guessing what players may want or what they might be thinking. Because I certainly thought Darren Collison um to the Lakers was a no-brainer. I thought if, if And especially if he was going to come out of retirement, which obviously he didn't do. But you look at Reggie Jackson for the exact same reason, the exact same logic. I don't know why you would choose the Clippers over the Lakers. I mean, so much of what has been said about why the Clippers wanted Reggie Jackson has been that it, you know, it keeps him from going to the Lakers. And if you're Reggie Jackson and you understand that, why would you go be that chess piece instead of go somewhere where you can you know, potentially pick up your Rajon Rondo's minutes. I agree with you. I don't know that Reggie Jackson moves the needle enough for me as a Rajon Rondo replacement. I don't know if, I think that's more of a kind of a night-to-night feel thing over who would get those minutes as opposed to a clear upgrade. Whereas I think Darren Collison, assuming he was at, a, at you know, was mid-season form, which would be a, a big ask, would, would be a clear upgrade over Rondo. But I don't know, did you cover Reggie Jackson in Oklahoma City? Did you have, did you have him I, there or were you still in New Orleans? <laughs> I did not have him, but I did cover a, a franchise in Oklahoma City for three years that did not seem to miss him. Um, you know, I think from a standpoint of just a, a locker room and chemistry perspective, I think they were happier to have him away. Now, look, there are circumstances there. I mean, I think Reggie Jackson, uh, when he was in Oklahoma City, was playing behind Russell Westbrook and wanted a bigger role. And so, you know, I think some of that has to do with what is your acceptance of what your role is. And, you know, is he at this stage of his career, would he have a different approach to that than he had at the time in Oklahoma City where he kind of got on the wrong side of a lot of the people in that organization and and a number of the players as well. And he and Westbrook have had uh, some kind of uh, they've gone at it when they've played against each other since then. So yeah, I, I think it's the questions about him from a chemistry standpoint are worth asking, but I don't think we have the answer. I don't have the answer based on not having really covered him at all and certainly not covered him in Detroit. Um, there would be some questions there. I agree with you that I think he's more of a defensive move for the Clippers. He guards against, um, you know, the, the injury and foul trouble to uh, not just Pat Beverly, but also Lou Williams, just, you know, having that extra body. Um, and and more than that, he keep, they keep him off the Lakers, which I think is significant for them because they don't want the Lakers to solve that problem. Um, I, I, I don't know. To me, it is an odd choice. Um, and there are a lot of variables, obviously, that go into a guy's decision. And, and I don't know. I mean, reportedly, the Lakers did have interest. Maybe the Clippers showed more interest. Maybe there was something specific about the the makeup or the the players or the coaching staff or whatever on the Clippers that he liked better. It's hard to speculate on on why he chose it. But from a just a one to one perspective, if it's you making the decision, it does seem like if it came down to those two situations for most players, that's the Lakers would be the more logical choice just from a, a standpoint of what they offered. And I felt the same way about Collison. I, I always thought almost weird that he would be considering the Clippers. Um, because of the presence of Lou Williams and because of the fact that I, I think if you got the last year of Indiana, last season's Darren Collison, and obviously, as you said, there's no guarantee he would have, that's a guy who probably closes games for the Lakers. I don't know that he would start, but he'd be in the in the game a lot at the end of games. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, like we, a lot of this season has been just the Lakers versus the Clippers and, and kind of comparing the ways they've handled their seasons and who's better. The Lakers are obviously quite a bit ahead of the, the Clippers in the in the standings. But if you'd look at success over the last couple of weeks, I mean, I think the, the Clippers have pretty clearly outclassed the Lakers in terms of bolstering their roster before the playoffs. When you talk about finding a way to pull off the trade for Marcus Morris, something that the Lakers did not have the, the constitution for. And, and perhaps correctly, if, if, it, if it was... Kyle Kuzma and Danny Green, I don't know that they were wrong to to hold off. If it was Kyle Kuzma and Avery Bradley and DeMarcus Cousins, that's a starter in your sixth man. It's you know there's it's at least debatable whether it was the right move. But the Clippers get the guy the Lakers wanted. Then in in the buyout market, the Clippers get another guy the Lakers wanted. It's gonna be interesting to see, you know, when the playoffs come, when assume, presuming we do get that playoff series, uh, whether those guys end up being the difference makers. And if the Lakers lose a, a seven game series and Marcus Morris has a couple big games and Reggie Jackson does also, I mean, you know, you're gonna look back on that and say, you know, the Lakers struck out when the time came to to um, reinforce their troops. But, you know, we don't know. We don't know. I mean, it's hard to say that that's what's going to happen. It's hard to be too critical right now because the Lakers, as we've said, are sitting pretty in the Western Conference. Um, I just don't think you want to be too comfortable if you're the Lakers. I agree. I just think that the, the idea, you know, and they, they talk all the time, uh, LeBron, uh, Anthony Davis, they talk all the time about still needing to get better. And that's, that's you know, I think it's worth noting that, they have not put forth a public image that that says we're a finished product, we're good to go. But you know they aren't doing that. They aren't doing it with addition. And it, and as you said, it feels like they need an addition. There may not be one out there to add, but it will feel like a, an incomplete team going into the playoffs, regardless of what the record is, if they don't right. make a, a change. Yeah. All right, Brett. Well, uh, thanks so much for taking the time today. We're gonna. Um, I'll, I'll be seeing you out at Lakers practice a little bit later today, and then obviously every day for the rest of the regular season and and potentially into June, depending on how long the Lakers can ride this thing out. But this does feel sort of like, you know, they've just had this week get that final breather. Now it's it's kind of go time. So we'll talk next week. Obviously, here on Basketball Reasons, part of the Forum Club on the Athletics NBA Podcast Network. I'm Bill Orem. He was Brett Dawson in a closet in Washington D.C. Is producer Mike Smeltz uh, making us sound good? Well, sounding sort of okay. Me with a cold and Brett with a uh, a bitten lip. A, a bit bitten lip. lip. There we go. That's that's the that's the way to frame it. So uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for putting up with us, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, thanks, guys.